Hi, hello, and welcome to the Back to the Pavilion podcast, the original podcast that talks to former cricketers about their lives, careers, and experiences since leaving the playing field for the last time. Today sees a first for the podcast as we welcome our first ever female guest back to the pavilion. She played over 20 times for England, including at one World Cup. Since then, she has done so much to enhance the game of cricket, especially the women's game. So join me as I welcome Sue Redfern back to the pavilion. Basically, my fitness levels, uh, I was i was dropped from the squad in 99. My fitness levels weren't uh, ideal. Uh, kind of like, and uh, yeah, kind of like it's, uh, it was sad, really. Uh, I... Uh, I had a successful career post England from 99 into county cricket, uh, still proved that I could play a role. Uh, but uh, yeah, kind of like if I know now what, you know, I knew, but you know, if I knew then what I know now, uh, certainly kind of like there's different methods of fitness and there's different ways in which you can be treated with a fitness perspective. It was very much kind of like the support we got back then was very uh, one dimensional. So probably didn't fit my needs and my requirements and, yeah, kind of like, I suppose, in a way, you know, you don't realise what you lose until you've lost it. So uh, to be given another opportunity with umpiring for me has been a great opportunity. And yeah, kind of like, I just want to grab it with both hands. Was it a, you know, was it a paid career back when you played in 99? Could you make a living out of what you were doing or did you supplement it with, with another job, as it were? Yep. So it wasn't, it definitely wasn't professional. Uh, it's only just recently women's cricket's turned professional in this country uh, for the top players. So uh, yeah, back in 99, when I first broke into the squad in 95, uh, I, I actually had uh, three casual jobs. Uh, so, you know, financially I had to support yourself and all of the girls back then, you know, were working or were in education. So uh, a large majority of the team had, had jobs uh, you know, I didn't have a full time job. I just had these three casual jobs that I, you know, didn't get paid whilst I was on tour. And then I went back and, and got paid while I was off tour. So, you know, can I fit in the training, fit in the crickets uh, around jobs to try and earn income when you when you're back home uh, was pretty important to kind of like be able to then go off and play cricket. And I mean, you mentioned earlier that you um, you carried on playing county cricket and then. Yeah. Uh, was it 08 you retired from county cricket was that a, an easy decision for you to make to finally sort of say that's it I'm done yeah well it wasn't a difficult decision in the end I stopped playing uh club cricket in 2012 mm. uh finished playing county cricket back then you know for me it was kind of like I actually wasn't enjoying the game uh I actually you know kind of like it you know from my perspective uh, it was painful during the week, so kind of like literally you'd finish playing on the Sunday uh, and then for the next three or four days I'd be really stiff and, you know, I had a couple of injuries. Uh, I had a big injury in 2005 uh, where basically kind of like I was told I'd never play sport again. So to get back and to play some form of cricket was, you know, was good, uh, but I felt it was the time to hang up my boots fully uh, in 2012. Was that, is, do you still feel that injury now, is it, or are you fully recovered from that? No, I'm very lucky. Uh, can I? Hopefully, you're not going to jinx it. Uh, but uh, I, I, I snapped my Achilles tendon uh, playing badminton. Uh, so uh, literally, uh, kind of like it was a full snap. And uh, yeah, it was a good 12 months for me to get back to any form of sport and to learn to walk again. Uh, so uh, yeah, kind of like I consider myself very fortunate that I'm still able to play sport, uh, and it doesn't really restrict anything I do now, fitness-wise either, which is good. I mean since you retired you you've 
so you stayed in cricket a lot. I mean, you, you've had lots and lots of jobs within cricket. Was it always important to you? Did you want to have that career in, in the administration side of cricket? No, I, to be honest, kind of like I didn't, you know, kind of like think there was going to be an opportunity for me to work in cricket. Uh, I left, uh, kind of like I obviously stopped playing England cricket back in 99, uh, stopped playing county cricket. I, I moved away from the game in 99 uh, in terms of kind of like I didn't really get involved in coaching or anything like that. Uh, I went and worked in a different sector. Uh, so I had a various number of other jobs within different sectors. Uh, and it was only, uh, I think, 2006, uh, where I was talking to one of my club colleagues uh, who I was playing cricket with, who basically kind of was talking to me about her role in the organisation in the ECB. Uh, and it was a job opportunity. Uh, so I had a chat with her, looked at what the skills were. And uh, yeah, kind of like I've, I've not looked back really. I've been very fortunate. I never thought I'd come back to cricket to work in cricket. Uh, but uh, yeah, kind of like for me, it's it's a dream really, compiling your passion with obviously your working environment. Uh, you know, for me, cricket has been such a huge part of my life. You, you know, it's it shaped who I am. Uh, so that to be able to put something back into it for me has been really important. I think um, a lot of your roles, are, you know, development of women's cricket. How satisfying is it for you to to look at how women's cricket has come on and and raised its profile over the you know the last few years yeah i mean a lot of things have happened in the history since the england Wales cricket board have taken over women's cricket you know and without the work of the women's cricket association pre-ecb involvement you know i don't think we'd be where we are now can i can i think you know what is pleasing to see is that there has been an acceleration of engaging women and girls in cricket but you know across the world and and here you know there's still a lot of work to do you know there are still uh, a lot of clubs out there who don't offer women's uh, cricket or girls cricket and i think we need to increase that and i think there's you know why would you cut 50 percent of the population out of playing this beautiful game it just doesn't make any sense to me what what role you know you, you you were development manager for women's cricket national development yep. lead for women's cricket what kind of things um did you do to try and promote the game within and and develop it across the country yeah variety of things in terms of uh improving facilities so creating an, uh, inclusive environments programs specifically uh education programs getting cricket into schools uh and predominantly kind of like playing in girls only environments so for a lot of girls, kind of like a mixed environment isn't going to work. Playing in a girls only team is a great opportunity for, for girls to kind of like feel safe and uh, inclusive, really. So, you know, a variety of things. I mean, at the moment, I'm, I'm very lucky to be working in supporting clubs to improve their facilities, uh, which can only help kind of like them developing uh, sections for women and including more women and girls in their clubs. And have you seen, you know, from where you started to where you where it is now, what kind of improvements have you seen? Is is the tangible results? Yeah, for sure. There's more clubs than there ever has been who have got women's and girls cricket. You know, uh, softball cricket is uh, now up and running in in many areas. Uh, obviously, you know, uh, some education programs are well established. 
to get to get girls involved in schools. Chance to Shine is a good example of that. Lords Taverners and Lady Taverners have done a huge amount of work in that space, particularly around secondary schools. Uh, and, you know, club environments, there are more girls competitions when, you know, kind of like here you go back to when I was playing years ago, you know, there was no girls cricket. I didn't have girls cricket. I was playing in boys teams or I was playing in women's clubs, you know, so where we were to where we are now is a, is a massive uh, improvement, but uh, still work to do. And did, did you, you know, you talk a lot about grassroots there. Did you have any development sort of at the top end in the professional game or were you solely focused on the grassroots end? Yep. So I've been heavily involved in my working career in uh, grassroots cricket. Uh, one, one scheme which we did do, which helped with the uh, elite players, was to introduce contracts for our England cricketers pre them being full-time professionally played cricketers. They actually went into the Chance to Shine programme uh, to help coach and to help be role models. Uh, so I was part of that programme development to kind of like get some of the England girls actually working in cricket, in coaching jobs, uh, so they could supplement their training uh, and and play cricket for England as well. And on top of that, you've also become an international umpire. How does that come about from where you were? Yeah, uh, very lucky. Uh, I feel very privileged. Uh, so back in 2012, I stopped playing cricket. Uh, obviously, I've been heavily involved work-wise since 2006, but I wanted to stay involved on a, a volunteer basis. And, you know, I looked at what I wanted to do in cricket after playing, uh, thought about coaching, thought about scoring, wasn't for me, uh, and thought, well, actually, my dad used to be a cricket umpire. Should I kind of like try that? Uh, went along to my local co- my umpires association. Uh, in those days, it was 13 weeks on a Monday night. You'd go and learn the laws in a really cold Edgebaston room. Uh, learn the laws, uh, wish I'd have learned them so much sooner. Uh, and then uh, they help you uh, find appointments. So I went and joined the local league. I wasn't connected because I, I live in Birmingham now. I wasn't connected to any cricket clubs over here. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I joined the Warwickshire League and then progressed to the Birmingham District League. And from there, it's kind of like it's progressed from there, really. So, you know, very lucky that I had a really supportive county association, uh, which helped me in the early days learn how to umpire. And how does that, how do you go from the league cricket to, you know, officiating in ICC events? Yep. So ICC uh, basically uh, wanted to encourage more female officials, figured it was an area where, you know, there was an underrepresentation, so provided opportunities to a number of female uh, umpires across the world. Uh, and from there, kind of like we're placed onto a development panel alongside associate uh, nations, uh, and we are appointed on merits in terms of kind of like appointments for competitions and tournaments. Uh, so it was pretty much, uh, yeah, it was it was the opportunity because you know I was umpiring here to a relatively high standard at that point. I was in the Birmingham District Premier League, which is the men's. Premier League tournament in this area uh, and I was just moving towards uh, National Umpire Panel as well for uh, the ECB. And we've seen recently, you know, um, female officials um, as third umpire and fourth umpires in, in men's ICC events in test matches with ODIs. How long do you think it'll be before we see a, a female umpire standing in a, in a men's test match? 
Yeah, who knows? Uh, you know, there's no reason. Uh, and I think you've alluded to some of the uh, successes. You know, there are some amazing female umpires out there across the globe who are smashing glass ceilings. Uh, you know, there's no reason why uh, a female umpire couldn't umpire in a male environment at the top level. Uh, you know, the skill sets that are required for umpiring uh, kind of like aren't uh, necessarily connected to your gender. Uh, so, you know, kind of like there's no reason why that shouldn't happen. And, you know, the key thing is, you know, making sure that there's structures in place that encourage more female officials, making sure that they're given the opportunities, uh, but they're selected on merit as well to to obviously kind of like uh, stand in, in certain tournaments. Um, I mean, you, you're the, still to this day the only person on the planet to have played and umpired in a, in a World Cup. What does that give you a sense of pride? Uh, I'm not sure. Am I the only one who's male or female? I, I don't know. If I I'm believe the... so. Yeah. Wow. So I, I didn't know. I didn't know I was the only person on the planet. But uh, yeah, it makes me feel uh, incredibly proud uh, and lucky. And yeah, kind of like it. Just you know, for me, it's uh, you know, I, it, it's great that that is the case. But uh, yeah, for me, it's just uh, a great opportunity for me to kind of like encourage more females. Uh, to go out there and kind of like become umpires or do whatever they want to do for, you know, in cricket. It just proves that anything is possible, really. Do you, um, do players know that you've played at the highest level and do they think, do you, does that give you, earn you more respect when you're out on the, the field umpiring or because they know that you've been there and done it or is it inconsequential, really? I think initially, uh, I think if I think about my experience as being an umpire now, uh, I think the playing experience definitely helped initially. I think sometimes players do probably give you a little bit more leeway if you're an ex-player, uh, if they know you're an ex-player. But I only think that gives you certain credits, if that makes sense. You know, you get found out uh, and you have to kind of like, you know, your decision making and the way in which you manage the game kind of like ultimately is the key thing. And I think a good example of that is a colleague in Australia, Claire Polozak, who's just made a test debut uh, in the men's Australia versus India test. Uh, she has never played cricket, uh, you know, kind of like, and she's a great umpire. Uh, you know, the reality is that her umpiring experiences, given those years of kind of like what my playing years gave me, you know, so I think ultimately, you know, kind of like the experience of being a cricket umpire overtakes any playing experience. Uh, and you see the game differently. Uh, as an umpire to what you do as a player and, and you're looking for different things uh, and I think initially kind of like probably two or three years into my cricket umpiring uh, I actually was still thinking like a player and it actually stopped me making some good decisions uh, because you know I was predicting things rather than actually watching the the flight of the ball for example so you know I think uh, you know to start with yes experience is good but ultimately long-term experience as being an umpire is the key thing really. How do you prepare for when you know you're going to be covering a, a game do you think about the players who you know you're going to be umpiring you know so and so I know they've got an issue with the front foot or I know so and so often gets out you know sweeping do you do those things flag up in your head to to look out for or is it sort of clean slate each time you you arrive? Yep. So obviously, just just as a player would do, you do do preparation for a game. I, I my my preparation would include looking at traits of a player, traits of a ground, you know, looking at uh, kind of like the situation in the match, 
so yeah, absolutely. You do use that as evidence and uh, you use it as kind of like background information. But I think one of the key things certainly I've learned as an umpire is you have to judge every ball by its merit. You know, so even though you've got all of those factors, uh, you know, in your preparation, you've still got to go ball by ball. And it is important that you do ball by ball. When you look at the the, the current era of, of women's professional cricket, do you wish that you were playing now? Do you wish Probably you wouldn't get in the team now, to be honest, you. Uh, so. So, yeah, I mean, obviously, kind of like it's any any uh, cricketers, young cricketers uh, dream to play cricket for England uh, and to, you know, obviously make a full time profession of it. I would have loved to have been a professional cricketer. Uh, make a career out of it and uh, play in the environment now kind of like obviously you know the exposure uh, the you know the 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 amount of people that are now aware of women's cricket significantly higher than what it was so it would have been a real yeah kind of like real buzz to be playing uh, in this era and it's an exciting era and you know kind of like I think you know for me uh, seeing some of that you know in the positions I'm very fortunate to be in you know, kind of like it's, you know, it's a real kind of like I feel really proud of what we've achieved historically and what people before me have achieved to, to make that happen, really. So, uh, yeah, kind of like it's uh, an exciting period of women's cricket. How does your umpiring fit in with um, the other work that you do for the ECB? Are they very happy for you to, to you know, disappear off to, to umpire a tournament um, or is, it, is there a lot of give and take there? Yeah, I'm very lucky that I work with an employee uh, employer who's uh, obviously very uh, kind of like considerate of the work I'm doing with my cricket umpiring. Uh, we have an arrangement in place uh, that allows me the flexibility to do uh, some umpiring. Uh, obviously, some of it, you know, as well as annual leave. Uh, but uh, yeah, I feel incredibly uh, lucky to be given that opportunity. Uh, it is it is a challenge for a lot of umpires uh, who are wanting to progress uh, the balance between work and uh, being able to umpire, uh, you know, but I feel in a, in a very lucky and privileged position. Are you, would you be able to take what you're doing now as an umpire and make that a, a, a full time career? Would it would it be able to pay? Uh, currently for me, uh, no, uh, it wouldn't be, I wouldn't be able to, uh, obviously kind of like have a salary that would enable me to have, uh, kind of like pay the bills really. So, you know, for me, having a full-time job at the moment is, is a key priority. Uh, but you know, I'd love to progress the umpiring at the same time as well. Uh, yeah, it's a difficult balance. Do you, um, wait, you know, a lot of people talk about when they finish playing the game that they miss that kind of competitive element. Does um, umpiring give you that competitive element, kind of that that almost challenge against yourself to get the decisions right and know you've had a good game? Does that help with that? Yep. Uh, so I, I wouldn't say it's competitive. Uh, I, I want to do a good job. You know, at the end of the day, kind of, I, I you know, the reason I came to umpiring was because I remember kind of like when I was a player, I gave the umpires maybe a hard time and I demanded a lot from umpires and I wanted the right decisions to be made. So, you know, as umpires, all we're trying to do is make the right decision. You know, we've got fractions of seconds to make some decisions. You know, you try and do the best. You do the preparation, you do the work off the field. 
to try and give you the best opportunity to kind of like make the right decisions, you know, so not necessarily competitive, you know, kind of, I think I'm probably, I give myself uh, a really hard time if I've made poor decisions or if I've made perceived poor decisions, or if I don't think something's gone right in the game, I'm not happy with my performance. I'll certainly be the first one to go and reflect on that and look at where I could improve. Uh, you know, but it, I wouldn't say so much as it's competitive. It's just that, you know, I, I want to get it right because, you know, you're there for the players. You want to make the right decisions where you can and you want to improve. And, and you know, every game you learn something new. Every time you go out on the field, you definitely learn something new. Every Something will happen that's not happened before or it will trigger something else that gets you thinking about the game in a very different way. And it's, you know, kind of like it's the best seat in the house. Uh, you know, seeing the game from from an umpire's perspective, uh, you know, and, it, and it's a real privilege and pleasure to do that. But sometimes, you know, kind of like it is a tough job, uh, but you, you learn from that and, and hopefully kind of like you learn from, you know, every time you go out there on the field. I noticed as well that you, you're big into golf. Has that given you a, um, you know, an avenue for your competitive streak from from finishing playing cricket? Yeah, for sure. So uh, golf is the most frustrating game in the world. Uh, there is nowhere to hide. Uh, you literally, you know, you make a bad shot. There's nobody to blame but yourself. And, you know, you're against yourself. So, yeah, you're absolutely right, Hugh. I'm a bit of a golf uh, freak now. Get out on the course as much as I can uh, and enjoy that. Uh, and, yeah, you're playing against yourself at the end of the day, trying to get your handicap better. What is your handicap at the moment, Sue? Yeah, a bit disappointed, Hugh, actually. Uh, so the World Handicap System has, has been introduced at the back end of last year. And uh, because of my lack of uh, playing last year, uh, kind of like I've gone up a little bit. So I'm 16 now. Uh, so uh, kind of like I'm a little bit disappointed. Uh, more work to do. I've just, I'm, I'm taking lessons at the moment outside of lockdown. So, uh, yeah, trying to get better. It's any conversation. I spoke to um, James Taylor the other week. And um, he's a little bit disappointed because he's just gone up to 0.8. So, um, yeah, that is disappointing. Yeah, I can see his disappointment there. I, I, I'm disappointed if I don't, if I score anything over 108. That's about my, um, when that's I you. go around. I, 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 I do, you know, I know this isn't a golf podcast, but uh, kind of like it, I, I do love the game because, you know, you can play against anybody with a mm. world handicap system. And now you can play on any course, uh, you know, and it'd be a fair game of, of golf. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, kind of like it's, it's a great game. I, I, my wrists are too bad. I still guide it down to third man when I'm playing golf. That's my problem. Yeah, I, you asked me why I stopped playing cricket. Well, I used to open the batting at Staffordshire uh, with Danny Wyatt, who, yep. who currently still plays. And uh, she uh, she used to come down uh, the pitch to me after a couple of deliveries and she's going, Sue, you're playing cricket today. It's not golf. It's not golf. Uh, so, uh, yeah, kind of like they definitely don't complement each other in the batting department, I don't think. No, I never. My great uncle taught me to play golf, and the first time he took me on a course, he said exactly the same things like, "You're playing golf today, Hugh. You've just sliced that down yeah. to third man." And I should have listened to him really because I still do it now. Um, you talked earlier about when you come off the field and you've made and you, and you think you've made some bad decisions or perceived bad decisions, and you reflect on those. When you come off the field and you and you think, you know what, I've got everything right today. Does that give you a similar feeling to when you played and you'd taken wickets? Uh, I definitely don't come off the field thinking I've got everything right. Uh, but uh, yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, that 
playing cricket, there's nothing like playing cricket. You know, it, it's, you know, kind of like it's a passion. It's your adrenaline, uh, you know, taking the wickets, hitting the runs, kind of like, you know, to emulate that would be uh, difficult. But actually, you know, there's a sense of pride for me that, you know, if I've made a game go flow correctly and if uh, basically the game has been played in good spirit and the decisions, you know, have been there, uh, to kind of like ensure that the game has flowed, you know, for me, that's a good day at the office and a quiet day, you know, is a great day at the office where, you know, kind of like actually nobody notices them on the field. That's, that's the best day for us really. Do you have, you know, highlights off the field uh, of your, you know, whatever it be, your, your development roles or your umpiring roles where you sit back on the sofa at night and go, you know what, if there was a, a Sue Redfern post cricket highlight show, that would be on it. I think you know, seeing the transformation uh, and moving the the international players into professional contracts, getting them some financial support would be quite high there. Uh, as would kind of like uh, obviously kind of like supporting clubs to help uh, grow their facilities and grow their women's sections uh, would be. Uh, pretty high on my agenda and when you you sit back and think do you have highlights from your your playing days that still live long in your memory yeah uh dropping a simple court and bowl to get a fifer uh which would have been my best uh bowling figures uh playing for england that that pretty much sits there uh yeah kind of like i suppose uh just uh the disappointment of not making the final in the world cup in 97 in india the disappointment of losing in the semi-final uh was kind of like pretty pretty raw uh but then the you know the the celebration a few days later i think it was a week later the final was played we stayed on and watched the final and being in the stadium with a full uh eden gardens was uh quite an incredible uh quite an incredible place to be and you know it really was uh, quite humbling to be honest it's interesting you know, I talk about highlights you I think that's the beauty of cricket yeah. isn't it we talk yeah. about highlights and you talked about dropping a catch and losing a game is there any you know really sort of exciting ones that you remember for yourself uh, I think, uh, yeah, so uh, in one of my last, I think it was my last uh, one day international, I played at Trent Bridge, uh, obviously kind of like I'm, I'm an East Midlands girl, I was born in Nottingham, so obviously playing at Trent Bridge was, uh, you know, a real privilege, uh, so uh, kind of like being at Trent Bridge, uh, I remember I didn't have a particularly great day with the ball, uh, in, we were playing India, we were batting second, and uh, I, at those days, I wasn't really classified as a batter, uh, I'd probably be due to come in at 9, 10 or 11 uh, and uh, we were having a mini collapse. We'd had a pretty mini collapse during the course of that series and I, and I put my hand up and said, well, I'll go in and bat. Uh, and I actually came in, at, I think, at six, five or six. And uh, Karen Smithers was actually, the England captain, was actually out in the middle uh, batting at this point. And I walked out to the crease and she's like, what are you doing here? <laughs> so, you know, I want to bat, you know, we, we, you know and, and I hit my first ball for four. Uh, put on 20, I, I, I hit 27 in quick succession and we went on to win that game. And I, and I think, you know, kind of, I'm really proud that, you know, I was part of that catalyst to, to win that game of cricket, really. So, uh, yeah, for me, that was probably one of my uh, most fondest memories. Do you have any memorabilia from your playing, up, playing days up around the house or is it hidden away or given away or... 
Yep. So uh, I've got, I've still got a few shirts tucked away that yeah, I always want to try and put imprints on onto a frame and, you know, obviously put it up. I've got a couple of photos in there and a couple of uh, old uh, kind of like when we went to, uh, when we went to India, we were given quite a lot of gifts uh, and uh, I've still got my trophy for player of the series for the South Africa uh, series in 97, home series in 97. So a few bits of memorabilia. Uh, and some photos. I always do, Sue, before I, I interfere, I always do a quick eBay troll to see okay. if there's any memorabilia on eBay of the person I'm about to interview. Okay, this is worrying. If I, if you wanted, you could make yourself a bit of money because someone is selling on there a Sue Redfern signed piece of white card for how much do you think? At £2.31. Oh, one ninety nine. Just a, one ninety nine. One ninety nine for a, a piece of white card with your signature on it. So there's still a market Brilliant. for Sue Redfern memorabilia out Brilliant. there. Brilliant. Um, Excellent. Although Excellent. they have got you down um, as Australia. Personally, I wouldn't pay one ninety nine for it. Yeah, there you go. So <laughs> there you go. I wouldn't pay one ninety nine for that for sure. Someone will though, and that, I think that I think that's the beauty of cricket memorabilia. I, I love cricket memorabilia; it's Brilliant. all up around my house. But I think it's it, anything can have a value. I think. Um, what advice would you give to a, a youngster starting out in the game now, Sue? Yeah, uh, anything is possible. Uh, work hard, learn from others, uh, and uh, yeah, just be in the moment and enjoy it. Basically. I meant to ask, um, when you played for England, did you have a squad number on your back? Uh, no, we didn't, actually. We, squad numbers weren't there, so uh, no no squad numbers. If, if you'd had a squad number, what would it have been? If you uh, could have it? Yeah, it would have probably either been, uh, it would have been quite sad, really. It would have probably been year of birth, or it could have been 55, uh, kind of like would have been the numbers, really. I always 55 ask. isn't a year of birth, just for clarity. <laughs> why, why 55? Uh, just, I like fives. So uh, just, you know, double fives is tidy. So, yeah. I always ask, and, and loads of people go, no, no, I, I just wore whatever they gave me. And it's yeah. kind of I, I don't mind 13. I wouldn't have minded 13 either. So uh, that's an okay number. It crushed me. I always had this idea in my head that people would have always chosen squad numbers that meant so much to them, and, and the amount of people going, no, 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 just, just got it given, really. So, I always like to ask, what about a player coming to the end of their career? What, what advice would you give to them? Yeah, I think uh, you know my advice is uh, for players to, you know, really think about what they want to do moving forward. Uh, long term I think you know I certainly had no advice and no plan coming out of cricket uh, and and I suppose now you know I can't speak on behalf of the players now but I imagine you know it's, it's difficult for them because they're now that that's their career you know whereas at least I had you know some jobs to fall back to and I had some transferable skills I could take into other into other roles and I think you know what is apparent is the you know elite athletes and elite athletes in team sports there's lots of research out there that shows that there are tons of transferable skills you can take into different careers uh, but it's just about unlocking that and giving the confidence to go off and do that 
so my advice to somebody leaving the game now is think about what where those transferable skills, what your interests are. Uh, if you want to stay in the game, kind of like obviously there are options now which enable you and help you to stay in the game and you can be doing things already to kind of like help you progress to non-playing. And I think don't wait, don't wait until you've stopped. Start thinking before you stop would be my advice. What trans what are those transferable skills that you know professional sports people can take into into other areas, into yeah. business or coaching or whatever? What do you think they are? Yeah, I think, you know, kind of like sport is, you know, kind of like it's such a high, uh, highly pressurized environment, isn't it? So leadership skills, resilience, you know, being able to kind of like make decisions, you know, kind of like and, you know, learning from those decisions. So, you know, kind of like things like that for me would be the transferable skills, that leadership, the track, you know, the resilience, the ability to kind of like think about problem solving in different ways you know, uh, and your ability to reflect on your own performances and improve and your drive to want to improve as well. It's, I, um, I spoke to someone and they talked about that the biggest challenge for them was the lack of feedback. They went from a, a cricketing career where everything they did was yeah. instantaneous feedback. Analyzed. When you walk in after yeah. getting an innings and your coach goes, well, you shouldn't have done this. Or if it's some drunk person on the boundary going, you're useless, you're rubbish. Was that something you experienced? I think times were very different back in the nineties, uh, where we didn't have analysts. Uh, we did have we did have a couple of coaches with the England team, uh, but it wasn't as uh, you know feedback and analysis wasn't really fully ingrained uh, really in the cricket culture for certainly for women's cricket. You know, so I think slightly different from my experience. I think the thing that you know kind of like there was just a great big void when you left. Uh, all of your friends and all of your social circle were actually within cricket, and as soon as you're not in that environment, they are moving on and they're still doing what they were doing, whereas you're left not doing that. And I think you know not being part of a team for me was one of the biggest uh, challenges when I left playing. Uh, so, you know, you've got to go out there and make it on your own. And, you know, you haven't got people who are sharing those shared experiences, really. Was that difficult? Yeah, incredibly difficult because, you know, kind of like you've been doing something that you've been loved, you've loved doing and it's given you great opportunities. You know, you've got people who you're sharing that with who you can, you know, rely on. Uh, and then you go to a void uh, where, you know, actually kind of like it's, you know, it's, it's not a mundane society, but, you know, ultimately you're doing something that's the norm. You're going back into jobs. That's the norm. Uh, and uh, yeah, kind of like you're not getting the highs and lows of playing international cricket. Are you still in touch with people that you used to play with? Yeah, for sure. I mean, obviously working in cricket, you bump into people and you see people. Uh, yeah, for sure. So there's still people out there who uh, I play cricket with, uh, obviously kind of like international and county as well. So, yeah. Do you ever drop Danny White a, a text and go, you were playing, you, that was a golf shot you just played? Uh, obviously kind of like uh, you know it, it's a funny it's a funny environment because I'm obviously umpiring Danny mm. uh, just recently in the West Indies series in Derby uh, you know and I think you know Danny and I respect uh, you know I think she would agree that we respect our roles on field uh, but it might be that we have a chat off field you know about how the game's gone and things 
but uh, yeah, kind of like uh, we, we we were pretty honest when we played together. And you know, Danny is such a she's a great girl. Uh, she says what she thinks, and uh, yeah, it's pretty easy to have that conversation with her. So you were in the the Derby bubble. Was what was bubble life like for? staying in the in the travel lodge in derby hardly the most salubrious um, of settings yeah i think uh, yeah it, you know i really enjoyed the experience uh, for some i think they found it difficult but uh, for me you know it was a great opportunity to be cricket umpire and it was either go in the bubble uh, and be in that environment or don't umpire you know for me it was a relatively easy choice of course I want to be in the bubble of course I want to be umpiring uh, credit to uh, ECB uh, I think they created a really great environment uh, yes it was uh, Travel Lodge uh, which are renowned budget uh, hotels uh, but uh, you know kind of like the, the way it was set up was you had access to the ground and there were areas in the ground which we had access to so uh, yeah credit to the ECB for creating an environment the best best they could do really with the facilities that were available uh, played uh, East Mids uh, kind of like before long long ago there weren't counties they were regions yeah so uh, East Mids and then Derbyshire were the first county in the East Mids to split right. uh, and I went with Derbyshire on the first year when they developed so uh, basically I played for Derbyshire for 16 years and then I moved to Staffordshire uh, where I finished my career so uh, Derbyshire for me has been a big part of my life uh, you know, and, and, and to get to umpire it was great in the bubble to, to be umpire there was was brilliant. So was it the county yeah. ground you played at? For, did you get to play there a lot? No, or? no. So uh, I never played on the county ground. So again, this is where, you know, cricket history has changed, hasn't it? We've moved on and we've progressed. You know, Derbyshire, you know, kind of, we never played on the main county ground. We, we only ever played... Darley Fields, uh, kind of like, uh, you know, Parker's Peace, which mm. uh, was in existence then. Uh, you know, we went out to play at Denston and, you know, other venues and other clubs across the county. Duffield, we played a bit of cricket on. Uh, but, yeah, kind of like literally ne never the county ground. It was really frustrating for me because it's literally two minutes from my house to be able to not go, know there was international cricket going on and, yeah. and not go and watch. And my two girls love cricket as well. And they were like, well, Daddy, yeah. that's just, that's Derbyshire when it was on the TV. Why can't we go and watch? And they, you explain, but then we, they even insisted that I drove them one time just to go and look. And the setup, it was, I was really impressed with it. So I, I'm sure, yeah. you know, it was impressive. Yeah. So uh, what I will say here is you probably got away with one there. It was the quite possibly the coldest I've ever umpired uh, towards the late September uh, evening uh, game. So, uh, yeah, you'd have had to have wrapped up, I think, for those games. That is, I, I covered a game at Derbyshire once and I looked at my notes afterwards and all I'd written when it came to writing up the end of the day's play was cold three times and I'd underlined the last cold twice. <laughs> that It was absolutely freezing. Yeah. What what um what would you say was the ha the secret to a happy retirement from from playing cricket? So yeah, I think uh, two things for me. Can I obviously still having your health and having uh, having other ventures which you can take part in? Uh, so uh, keeping yourself as fit as possible to kind of like ensure that you can enjoy that long term retirement. Uh, and I think the second part is you know for me it's kind of like looking back on it and being proud of the contribution you've made. Uh, being proud that you know you've you've been part of history, uh, so you know kind of like doing everything you can do uh, 
uh, to really make a, a contribution and improve it for the next generation. The fastest growing element of cricket for the last few years and currently is the women's game. I don't think we can ever underestimate the impact and influence Sue's had on that growth. She should be very proud of her achievements both on and off the field. To be the only person to play in and officiate in a World Cup is amazing. I would not be surprised to see Sue become the first person to play in and officiate in a women's and men's World Cup. Next time on the Back to the Pavilion podcast, we meet a player who bowled fast for three counties, putting batters at risk. Since he's hung up his bowling boots the last time, though, he now works in the medical industries to help reduce risk for people. So join me as we welcome Mark Turner back to the pavilion. That's all from me for today. So take care of yourselves and others. Be kind. Bye-bye for now.